There's something incredible about being on the same page as someone else. It's like, like a rare jewel, I guess, that once we find it, makes us, makes us feel like we're at home because we just get someone and they just get us. And I especially think of um, the feeling when we start somewhere new, like um, maybe in a new job or when we first start going to uni or TAFE or um, when we start at a new school um, or start school for the first time as a preppy. Our most important goal is to find who are the people who are on the same page as us. We're trying to find who are the people who get me, who are the people who share the same interests, who want the same sort of things, who share the same outlook as me, people who have similar thoughts, ideas, beliefs, because if we can find those people, if we can find others who are on the same page as us, we feel safe, we belong, and we have a place. It's a beautiful thing. Hold on to that idea about what it means to be on the same page as someone, because we're going to come back to it a bit later. So we're now in a series called Living in the Spirit, and we're particularly looking at Paul's letter, to the, uh, his first letter to the Corinthians. Um, And we're particularly exploring what it means to live in God and for God to live in us. So to recap uh, some context um, that we've kind of covered a little bit over the last couple of weeks, um, the church in Corinth was struggling with divisions, divisions based on knowledge and understanding, on literally who knew what. And factions had emerged as groups within the church started to hold to their particular understanding of faith to the extent that the church was divided. Now, this isn't surprising when we think about the cultural context of Corinth, a Greek city very near to Athens where knowledge was power. Think about the um, philosophical greats of Socrates, Plato and Aristotle who were around only a few hundred years before Jesus in this area of the world. I mean, they had been incredibly influential to Greek society and culture. So society was itself driven by this quest for knowledge, for wisdom, for insight and understanding. And that quote of Socrates that I think captures the feeling of the day, there is only one good knowledge and one evil ignorance. So where philosophers and intellectual leaders were considered heroes, you can understand how inclusion and exclusion based on levels of wisdom and understanding was a normal way of being for these communities in Corinth, but certainly a danger in the Christian community. So Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, pleads against such exclusion and divisions within the church. As we heard from Andrew um, last week, Paul appeals in chapter 1 verse 10 that there are no divisions among them, but that they are perfectly united in mind and thought. So last week we heard how Paul emphasises that for all Christians, faith rests not on the wisdom or the skill of their teachers, but on the power of God in the message of the crucified Jesus Christ. And in fact, no one in the church can boast about their own knowledge and their own sense of wisdom because Jesus has become for us our wisdom from God, 
our righteousness, our sanctification and our redemption, which we read in chapter 1, verse 30. And so as we come to our passage today in chapter 2, Paul's essential argument is that we can all be of the same mind as a whole bunch of different people with different levels of knowledge and understanding about faith because we all have access to the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit because we can all be on the same page as Jesus. And this is incredible when you think about it, isn't it? Because Paul is clear that God's wisdom has been unattainable by any human being in history. In verse 6, he says that it's a wisdom not of this age or the rulers of this age. So it's nowhere close to what this world would tell you about life and what life is about. Or what the rulers of our day would tell us, whether that's our political rulers or the rulers of our consumer world, whether it's Apple or Microsoft or Google. Um, I like the tagline in our Youth Alpha promotion. It says, some questions even Google can't answer. Yes, God's wisdom is not of this world. In verse 7, Paul says that it's a mystery that's been hidden. In verse 9, he talks about it as something that no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, and no human mind has ever conceived. God's wisdom is completely other. It's on another plane entirely from even what the greatest philosophers can come up with. It's beyond what any intellectual elite could possibly attain. I mean, we're talking about the deep things of God. As it says in verses 10 and 11, we're talking about the very thoughts of God. Think about how profound this is. To be so in tune with someone, so in tune with the depths of their being, that you know what they're feeling, you know what they're thinking about things, you know what um, their secret hopes and desires and loves are. And Paul is saying that's, that it's possible to know the deep things of God, that it is possible to be in tune with God like this. But how? How is that possible? Well, Paul tells us that something extraordinary has happened in history, that God destined before time began to enable this to be possible. And he gives us this clue in verse 8. So look with me. It says, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, the Lord of the glory of God, the incarnation of God's wisdom, the centre of God's mystery, was standing right in front of them in the person of Jesus Christ. If they knew, they wouldn't have crucified him. And if we jump to verse 16, Paul explains it so clearly. He, by answering the question that Paul takes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, he says, Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And then he says, it's the mind of Christ. The answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus knows the mind of God. Jesus is on the same page as God. He knows the ways of God and he, know, he knows what God wants and why he wants it. He knows God's complete perspective. And he's the only one in history who not only knew the ways of God, but lived out the ways of God perfectly. He was perfectly in step with God 
to the point of being obedient to the will of God and consumed with his love to the point of death on a shameful, humiliating cross. But there's something more than this in this passage. There's an extra piece of the mystery that connects us to the mind of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of both God and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verses 10, and, 10, 11 and 12. It says, These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. The deep person-to-person knowing that Jesus shares with God is now shared with us by the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit who enables us to understand what God has freely given us in the person and work of Christ It's the Spirit who enables us to have the mind of Christ, to be on the same page as Jesus. It's the Spirit communing with us, sharing the deep things of God with us. Karl Barth, a Swiss theologian of last century, he said, God is known through God alone. And that's what this is saying. But Paul makes clear that this isn't possible, actually, for everyone. It's not possible for those who have the spirit of the world, those whose spirit is oriented toward human pride and human wisdom. It's not for those who aren't open to the Holy Spirit of God. In verse 14, and I'm going to read from the message translation, it says, The unspiritual self, just as it is by nature, can't receive the gifts of God's spirit. There's no capacity for them. They seem like so much silliness. Spirit can be known only by spirit, God's spirit and our spirits in open communion. You see, the revelation of God is given to those who have God's spirit and they are people who love God. As it says in verse 9, what God has prepared for those who love him. They are the people who are open to God's spirit and have acknowledged the work of Jesus who made this deep communion possible. So this should be all Christians, not just some. And this is the beauty of the gospel and the intimacy with God that it enables. Because you don't need to be educated, you don't need to be considered wise or of understanding by this world's standards, sorry, um, to receive this incredible gift of access to the mind of Christ. And so as a community of Christians, we can be of the same mind and have the same purpose because we all have the mind of Christ. We share that. We can all be on the same page as Jesus. So there's no ground for groups of Christians to say that they have the monopoly on the true ways of God or that they alone have a grasp of the deep knowledge of God or have the secret to God's wisdom that other Christians don't have. No, there's no room for secret or elite knowledge in the family of God. 
So I want to spend some time just unpacking a bit more what it means to actually have the mind of Christ. What does it mean to be living on the same page as Jesus? Firstly, I think it's important that we acknowledge that it's not about being all-knowing. Even Jesus said that there were things that only the Father knows. In one of Paul's other letters, in Philippians 2 verse 5, Paul urges Christians to have the same mindset as Christ and he uses that word mindset and I think that's helpful because it means having the same perspective or attitude as Christ to feel the same way about things as he does such such as that it affects us it affects how we think how we feel and how we behave and Philippians 2, I think, encapsulates this beautifully. What is the mindset of Jesus? And I want us to read this together for those who aren't familiar with this passage. So from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The mind of Christ is the wisdom of God in the way of the cross. It's Jesus' willing and humble obedience to God and his purposes and his generous, sacrificial, loving and servant-hearted attitude towards others for the glory of God. And so to have the same mindset of Christ is like to continually ask ourselves the question, how does the wisdom of the cross apply to this situation or to that relationship or to this thing that I'm struggling with? How can I follow Christ in my attitudes, in my outlook, in my behaviour, in my thoughts and feelings, in my relationships and aspirations and apply that to our everyday lives. I'm going to quote Alexandra Brown. She's a New Testament scholar and she says, to have the mind of Christ is to have a cruciform mind. To have the mind of Christ is to have a cruciform mind to have the wisdom of the cross infused into every part of our mind. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've pleaded in prayer so many times to just be able to have the mind of Christ, to just think like Jesus, to just have that attitude as Jesus. Times when I've been struggling in sin, trying to change, asking for forgiveness for the same issue yet again praying to have the mind of Christ, to be able to hold myself such that I don't crack in anger and lash out in hurtful words when I just feel at the end of myself. To have an immovable, unconditional grace towards people that never judges them. To have the humility of Christ so that I would stop tripping over in pride. To have the love of Christ for others that is able to withstand any hurt and still move towards them in kindness and gentleness. To have the patience of Christ to trust God and wait for his timing. And I could go on and on. 
What area of your life are you longing for the mind of Christ? And when we think about having Jesus' perspective, it also means knowing his true perspective over all things, even as he hung on the cross, thinking about us and thinking about the world, even as he now sits at the right hand of the Father. He's got a perspective on truth. I want to learn to apply those truths to my thoughts, my beliefs, my emotions. And I think it's exactly that perspective and that truth that frees us from our burdens, from our anxieties, our uncertainties, our insecurities, our fears and our inadequacies. And I think that perspective actually is a reorientation of our own relationship to reality. So much so that Jesus' perspective overcomes any relational or psychological or even physical absences in our lives that have been caused by trauma and suffering and exposure to toxic patterns of thought. Through Jesus' perspective, shalom for our minds is possible and promised to those who love him. And that flows out into our relationships because that perspective in ourselves affects our capacities in our relationships. It's not just about individual obedience, but the corporate dimension of that obedience in the context of being in community and in relationships. Having the mind of Christ is about seeing those people through his eyes and embodying the way of the cross in all of our relationships. And it means putting to death selfish ambition. It means humbling ourselves. It means giving ourselves generously for others. It means living a life characterised by self-sacrificing love. So just to close, I want us to just take a moment to kind of exercise this um, as part of our application as we think about how do I do this. So I want you to think um, of one person actually here in the church. One person, they may not be here today, but one person who's at St Mark's. If you're at home um, or you're not connected to our church family, just think of someone that you have a relationship with. And then just take a moment, if you can, to see that person through Jesus' eyes. And to see him dying on the cross for that person. If you were to relate to them in a way that embodies that love, what does that look like? And I want to encourage you to take that and apply that in your relationship with that person. This is what it means to practice being present to the mind of Christ. 
And so my prayer is that as a church, we will grow in this gift that God has freely given us, sharing and expressing the mind of Christ to each other and to all whom we meet and know so that the wisdom of the way of the cross glows with compelling warmth. Amen.